rock. It doesn't work on rocks. What does it work on? Plants and beasts. Shrub. Dangerous Interpreter Pool in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 96 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to get more use out of fantasy languages in your game. But first, the rogue traders get to know their new crew members in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the polyglot is speaking your language in the Character Creation Forge. So, friendly reminder, TP t-shirts are available on TeePublic for $20. They come in a variety of sizes and colors, up to 2 or 3XL, I think. I hope so. And as small as extra small. All right, we actually met up with another listener to play another game. I We're on a roll. Men of the people, Well, that's I was us. on a roll, because you didn't roll. That's true. So... Uh, we met up with Jesse, uh, one of our listeners from Brooklyn, and uh, we, we played a playtest version of a game that he's been working on called The Revenant, um, which is, as it sounds, a game in which you play a revenant spirit hellbent on revenge against uh, someone who has wronged you uh, in your life. Or... The person who was wronged in life and then died and is now inhabited by an insatiable revenant spirit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's it's cool. It's a GM, two players. Uh, one player was the human side of it, and the other was the, the evil spirit side of it. Ishan was the human. I was the revenant um, or the revenant spirit, and then Jesse was the GM. And we played on a 19-teens luxury liner slash yacht. Yeah, it went back and forth. <laughs> yeah, we we adjusted as necessary. The game had interesting goals because we both, like, inhabiting the same body, right? We want revenge in some manner against mm-hmm. the person who wronged us. That's why the Revenant exists in the first place. That's why they come back to life. Right. But we we're also fighting for control of the body. Yeah, yeah, and so it's a it's a cool dynamic. It's kind of like a fiasco powered by the apocalypse. Mm, mm-hmm. um, sort of had a similar me- resolution mechanic to powered by the apocalypse games, but it had more of a story structure like fiasco. Yeah. So it's a, a, a set number of scenes, and we had abilities each that we could use in those scenes, and then uh, we jointly had to avenge ourselves. We had to kill our uh, our target. And then based on the story and, and how we did in it, there was a roll-off at the end to determine who got the, the last say uh, in in terms of the outcome of our character, our joint character. And that was the only time that you rolled any dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lost. I lost that roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as the human, anytime I tried to do anything, it required a roll because I'm human. Yeah. I can't always succeed at things. And then you could invoke me to mm-hmm. get a bonus on that roll, and that gave me points that I could then spend to activate my abilities, which just worked. Right, even if I didn't want them to. Yeah, so I was kind of, it put me in a position of almost like the secondary GM or mm-hmm. like first NPC rather than necessarily a PC because what I wanted to happen always happened. Yeah, it was a cool dynamic. And uh, I think, I, I mean, I had a blast. I 
I think we ended up with a very entertaining, though probably not typical story. <laughs> I think it's typical for us and our gaming group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where it went quickly off the rails and became very bloodthirsty very quickly. So one of the special NPCs is the love interest, which we met in the third out of six scenes, and I proceeded to immediately murder. <laughs> yep. At which point, hey, all we got left is vengeance. Right. <laughs> I was like, I got to get us on the warpath. She got to die. <laughs> it's okay. Turned out it was all her fault to begin with. Yeah, there was a cruel twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Jesse. We had a blast playing it and um it's a it's a very cool game that you've you've got working i think uh i think that'll be really neat when it comes out we'll definitely share it yeah very interested to see it when it's done speaking of doing things and just having them happen shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game that we played using dark heresy second edition rules from fantasy flight games And if you recall, you have just escaped from a Dark Eldar trap, uh, have returned on a Imperial gun cutter to your own vessel, the His Enduring Light, and promptly set a course for anywhere but here. Yeah. Which turned out to be the small planet of Gauntlegrim. Where have we heard that name before? Mm, Out of the abyss. Because you stole it? Mm, I stole it wholesale. Which we covered in detail last episode. (laughs) We're going to move forward in this episode. Thank you. So most exciting for the players. This was the first time, I guess, actually in this game since we began that we could spend XP. Yeah. And you had like a lot of it. Yeah. Like I think a full on like 1,000 or 1,200 XP. No, no. More than that. You had. 2,000 at that point? 2,800. (laughs) So you guys started at 2,000 and at this point you had (laughs) 4,800. Yeah, it was a lot of sessions in the Dark Eldar trap. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I immediately learned how to use all the guns. Yeah, I mean, there was a definite theme to how you guys leveled up. It went combat, defensive, (laughs) more combat. (laughs) Dodge. Yeah. More dodge. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Multi-dodge. The melee characters all got to lightning attack, so they got their kind of uh, core ability for for getting lots of hits. Um, your psyker flare definitely took some advanced abilities. Yeah, he's still only you know one more session away. Yeah, from <laughs> being any use. He's always saying, "Next time I level up, I'm going to be able to do so much awesome stuff." <laughs> one more level. <laughs> um, and then the sages definitely took more uh, of the lore type skills. So Doc the Heretech took Medike and Echo the Quartermaster took Commerce as well as some Forbidden Lore skills. Yeah, because we're we were gearing up for a shopping trip at this point. Right. Of course, first we had to go find a place where we could buy stuff. Yeah, and so you guys decided to head to Gauntlegrim for no other reason than you had passengers on your ship there, or from there. And you didn't have any other place to go. So it seemed like as good a route as any. And uh, Flair knew the way. Uh, so no major risks of warp incursions along the path. Yeah, some of the prisoners that we'd escaped with uh, were from there. And they had promised us rewards if we returned them home. So rewards sound great. Mm-hmm. And then you also know that the Dark Eldar had been raiding Gautelgrim. And that's how they had sort of gathered uh, some of this crew 
that you were working with now. So it was relatively close by. I think it was probably like a few days travel. Oh, so speaking of uh, the Dark Eldar, at this point, and this is basically like immediately after we're leaving in the gun cutter to like get back to our ship, uh, we immediately contact the Imperial Navy and let them know that uh, the the Navy men on that ship must have given up an Imperial cipher. Yeah. Because the Dark Eldar cracked it. Uh, yeah. It's terrible, terrible, tragic loss of that cipher. But you should you should change that cipher. Yeah. Because they know the proper response. Yeah. And also, if you want that ship back, you better go in a hurry because I feel like they're probably going to leave. Yeah. Or blow it up. Yeah. Either well, way. Either way. <laughs> Uh, but then you have a chance to kind of turn inward and figure out what you're going to do with, uh, you describe them as crew, but right now I guess they're probably more just passengers, right? You're trying to figure out. Well, they're not paying. So the, Well, they're not they're paying cargo. passengers. They're cargo, yeah. <laughs> they're stowaways, if you will. But all of the other prisoners that came with you on the gun cutter. So you've got Ront and Jimjar, the orc and Gretchen. Um, Ront now requires you to address him as Free Buddha Captain Ront. And, uh, yeah, I don't. He appoints Jimjar as his seneschal. Or uh, I think in his words it was the talky git. <laughs> <laughs> and they want to stay on board this ship, at least until they can find like, you know, a real crew made of orcs. Yeah, and, like, well, a, a, their a pro- own ship. Yeah, a proper orky ship. Yeah. One, that, one that runs proper. <laughs> And all they really want at this point is a cargo compartment that they can just make orky. Yeah. Which, like, remember, this ship is, like, two kilometers long, and 98% of it we haven't explored. Largely unused. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we were like, sure, okay. Then there is Prince Darendil, who was uh, an orc who insists that he's actually a uh, prince from Gauntlegrim. And every test we've been able to conduct at this point is completely inconclusive. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out that those human tests don't work on orcs. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as we can tell, he certainly believes that he is a prince. Yeah, he, he wants you to cure him and then return him. Right. right. Like, it certainly doesn't seem like he's lying. Right. We've, we've determined that. Uh, but unfortunately, he still looks like an orc. So Ront immediately bullied him into becoming a member of his crew. We figured we weren't going to take away his first crew member. Right. So yeah. <laughs> we just sort of let that lie. You know, I mean, we're going to get to Gontel Grimm soon anyway. Right. Uh, then there was Eldith, the uh, shield maiden, uh, one of the w- warrior cast from Gontel Grimm, which you know is sort of a feudal world. So they've got kind of imperial technology, but sort of older imperial technology and sort of a strong feudal kind of tradition. She's a shield maiden, and she believes that as such, her family will reward you pretty well for safely returning her home. Which is why she is our favorite right now. Yeah, <laughs> so her quarters got upgraded. <laughs> There's Lil Magnus, the carbon fiber stool that has telepathic abilities, and we have no idea where it's from or really what it can do. Carbon fiber cylinder that was briefly called stool sure. before... I mean, people still sit in it sometimes. Right, before Flair renamed it after himself. Lil Magnus doesn't seem to mind being sat on? No. Yeah. He also, yeah, he's he's just kind of along for the ride. We've got the Wonder Twins, Topsy and Turvy, who must be magical or special in some way because why else would they be twins? Yeah, and they have sort of started to get used to void travel, and then you started warp travel, so they're back on their... Uh... Right. Don't look out the portals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
so they're they're in for a rough time. Um, they are, I, I believe, around this point was when Flair read their minds to learn their names and also validated that they were in fact the children of a tanner on Gauntle Grim, otherwise inauspicious roots. Maybe it was like Danny Tanner from Full House. That's the type of pun that I like in my game. Mm-hmm. A f- thirty-eight thousand-year-old one. <laughs> There's still Seraph, the Dark Eldar, who's really grumpy because he has not talked to us since we got off the ship. Yeah, he's basically just been quiet and sullen, and you kind of get the sense from from him and then Shushar the priest that he's just sort of been set adrift, right? Like, this is not the direction his life was supposed to go. Yeah, fortunately, we have Shushar with us, who's a priest and is good at that, like, talky, feel-goody stuff. Because none of us are. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, well, I mean, we're good at talking and persuading, and Draco's very charismatic, as, as is Flair, but we're not good at the caring about you right. and, like, making sure you feel okay stuff. It's the narcissism that really holds you back. <laughs> but Priest of the God Emperor, you know, if he wants to try to redeem a Dark Eldar, we're not going to stop him. Right. And and then he also thinks that you guys need some spiritual grounding, and he uh, insists that he stay on as your chaplain. Yeah, as long as it's not like early in the mornings. Yeah, sure. It's I mean, the crew definitely needs some increased faith as long as you don't expect us <laughs> at the sermons. Um, but through this, I think you worked kind of with Sarath through Shushar uh, and, and found sort of a happy medium for Sarath, uh, a way that he could continue to exact pain and and violence upon mortals but in a way that was constructive for you guys well i mean that sounds a lot like a few positions we have available on ship yeah <laughs> it turns out you're in the market for a bosun <laughs> <laughs> turns out you know violence and discipline is the only way to get people to run a giant ship in the warp yeah especially when you're slightly underhanded or, or undermanned anyway shorthanded uh, yeah, so you do. You convince Sarath to stay on as bosun and feed him a steady stream of errant sailors. Right. Try not to kill too many. Right, yeah. You you, you got to leave him alive, buddy. That's all you got to do. <laughs> we don't have any extras. <laughs> but uh, you quickly notice within a few days as rumors circulate of the new bosun, the mysterious new bosun, uh, the one who is not seen walking the halls for some reason, as rumors start to circulate, uh, the crew ships into shape, as it were. Yeah, they'd prefer not to have another visit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with just a few days of travel in the warp, you come back into real space, and you find yourselves in orbit of the planet Gauntlegrim. What a terrible mud ball of a planet. Mm-hmm. We'll find out exactly how terrible next week. So, this week, we are talking about using languages in our games. So, Shane, have I ever told you about my uh, 4E character, Finch? No, hit me. So this was a a 4E game, and I think the Eberron campaign setting had just came out. So I was like, so excited. I'm going to play a changeling, and this is going to be awesome. And I wanted a character who had multiple identities. You know, I think in Eberron parlance, that's called uh, a becomer. Uh So you have a changeling who like adopts a non-changeling identity and just lives as that person. Mm -hmm. And then the other plan was that they would have multiple personalities. So he just shifts into a different person, changes the clothes, has ID papers for all that. 
So in one of the very early sessions, um, his like main baseline personality was an Eladrin, a high elf. Uh, and he's, you know, he looks like himself, Finch the high elf. And that's what everyone else at the table knew him as. And they walk into town and were greeted by essentially like the ambassador, you know, and she, she's an elf. And she walks up and looks right at my character and in like perfect elven well it might have been perfect (laughs) you don't know (laughs) well uh, i know where this is going (laughs) you don't know where it's going because i'm a min maxer (laughs) oh okay (laughs) she says greetings friend elf and of course the dm looks at me and goes do do you speak elven and i played it off like of course i speak elven and i like quickly looked at my sheet and i was like oh man oh yeah yes yes i do of course i do i'm an elf i speak elven (laughs) which I had forgotten in that moment, but I had actually spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get Elven on a changeling. Oh, because in 4E, okay. they didn't get any extra languages. Yeah, yeah. Which is a horrible oversight. It's the dumbest thing for a changeling not to get at least, like, pick a language or two. Mm-hmm. But that is honestly one of the few times that I think the languages that you speak have come into play in a game that I've played in. Yeah. And I feel like it's overlooked because people are always interested in playing characters that can speak lots of languages. They just usually get ignored because they don't come up in the game or they only come up at low levels. Like, I think pretty much every system has some sort of, like, linguist option, right? Like a feat where you take extra languages or, like, some sort of, like, you can pay XP and learn new languages. Yeah, or, like, languages are just a skill, so... Right, like, there's some mechanical representation, and in order to get more languages, you need to not do something else. Right, yeah, there's always a cost. And, like, there's a certain kind of a player that's very attracted to that, but they get really disappointed when they never get to use it because, honestly, it's almost always a wasted resource. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and that is because the opportunities are dependent upon your GM. But if you are a player who is interested in languages and wants to actually make it useful and effective at your game, you can figure out your own uses and offer your GM hooks to actually pull more language use into your game. So first off, if you are a character that can speak many languages, you can use that to build camaraderie at the table. So are there other party members who speak like a racial or a a national language? I mean, if you look at the PHB or really, you know, any sort of fantasy game or or tech game where you have different species, it's almost always you speak the the trade language, right? Common or basic, but then you also speak your species language. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you just get that. And that's the thing that most people totally ignore because, like, if no one else can speak Trandoshan, then, like, it's it's useless yeah, to you. I guess we're speaking basic. <laughs> right. But what if you also speak Trandoshan? And what if you speak to them in Trandoshan? Like, right off the bat when you're, like, first doing that, that ice breaking. Yeah. Yeah. First off, it's going to be a little weird. Like, why why do you speak this language that only exists on this one planet? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think... There's also a way to do this at the table too, right? So you kind of have to couch your explanation of what's going on for your GM. So it's like, I address him in perfect Trandoshan, which I'm fluent in, so that I may impress him that I know of his culture and species, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, okay, I understand what you're doing instead of it just being a throwaway detail. Right. Right. And even if it's another player at the table, like you can explain. So I'm saying this actually in in Trandoshan and... I don't even have an accent. I'm really good at this. Yeah. (laughs) 
because I mean, you, you think about it, people, like in real life, people have an affinity for fellow speakers of a language, especially like if it's a rare language or if it's a language that many people in the area that you're currently in don't speak. Yeah, you know, all, you, all my best friends speak Aramaic. Well, obviously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you wear shorts and, and sandals all the time. All the so time, yep. you're, you're basically Jesus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> When you're dealing with NPCs, like, are you one of those characters who's heavy on persuasion or charisma-focused skills? Be very clear, like, this is the reason that you are talking to them in their native tongue. And and honestly, like, if you're if you like the spotlight, if no one else can speak that language, then like, you're the one having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. It can also be a good way to build your backstory around language. Yeah, I was at this party one time where I didn't know anybody, and there's this girl. And she, like, we were talking for a little while, and she is Chinese. But I can't quite place her accent. Um, and I'm very good at placing accents. Uh, and, like, eventually I was just like, hey, you know, like, where where is it that you're from? And, like, I could tell, like, oh, God, she gets this question all the time, you know? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm from Germany. And I was, like, I was, like, smacking myself in the head because, like, she heard she was speaking English with a German accent. Of course she was. Like, if she had looked German, I would have gone, oh, right. Yeah, she's from oh, Germany. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I'm the guy who always, like, always gets asked, uh, like, where are you from? No, really, where are you from? Oh, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, God, I should have I noticed that. Way to be to stereotype, Ishan. But if you are a fantasy character who speaks, like, nine different languages, how do you speak all of them? Like, what is your accent for each of those languages? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe... You're an elf, and you speak all of your other languages with an elven accent. That's that's fine. Oh God, <laughs> everything sounds so snooty. Maybe you're a human who speaks all of your other accents with an elven accent. Totally right, oh. because like because you think it sounds more refined, and yeah. everybody hates you for it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like you learned goblin from the dwarven party member while you were on the road, right? And so you are an elf, but you speak goblin with a dwarven accent. Yep. Yeah, and I like that idea of who taught it to you mm-hmm. right as a person because that that puts an npc in play right um that makes it a, another hook for the gm yeah and it also means that every time you're talking to a goblin you maybe have that half second of confusion right <laughs> <laughs> and if you've established that maybe that's the thing that gives you like advantage on a sneak attack mm-hmm. yeah they get disadvantage on that initiative roll you flat-footed them <laughs> i but what but your ears are pointy right (laughs) (laughs) another thing you can do is add this as characterization at the table um swearing is a great way to do it because you can make up words as you go Mm -hmm. and then they become sort of in jokes at the table right like we uh we've adopted some of the 40k swear words Mm -hmm. for the rogue trader game i always say feth instead of the f-bomb and you can start teaching them to the other characters uh, I mean, if you think about it, like Klingon, I think just basically started as like swearing. It's just swear words. And then people were so interested in it that it got blown up in an entire language of its own. Yeah, yeah. That is very good at swearing. I also like it because you can introduce cultural misunderstandings. So, you know, if the Kabaran ambassador's name is like Rex, I don't know, Tillerson or whatever, um, maybe in another language that you understand but no one else present speaks like rex is a dog's name mm-hmm. like where i come from or like in in the elgin reaches like rex is a dog's name that's no that's really interesting too if you are party to like a negotiation or like a sensitive negotiation you're like 
you know, diplomats mm-hmm. uh, kind of facilitating, right? And the, the initial introductions happen and then someone storms out, right? Or they're mocking or, or whatever and things go poorly. It's like, wait, what's going on? It's like, oh, you know, that's a cuss word. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> his, his name is literally an insult. <laughs> uh, at the table, if you have players or if you're a player who can actually speak multiple languages, you can actually just use those as in-game languages. Yeah, it it helps if somebody else speaks them. Maybe, maybe sometimes, or but it can also just add a, a bit of like RP, right? Like, don't speak the entire sentence, but like a short phrase, and then you explain to everyone who would know like what that actually means. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, just be careful about shying away from like <laughs> the the orcs. Like orcish is, I'm just going to go with German because like it's so guttural, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, languages can also function as a secret code or, you know, a sort of party speak as well. Um, so it's a good way to pass information in combat without tipping off your opponent, for example, or leaving messages publicly that only your party will understand. Yeah, I like using a language over something like Thieves' Cant, which is, you know, a language of its own, but it in at least in 5th edition D&D, it, specifically calls out that it takes four times as long to convey a message in these can't yeah. than it does to just speak it normally. So, you know, if you're a party of elves and you're fighting non-elves, like just start talking in elven. Yeah, yeah. I, that's one of the kind of core elements of the Eisenhorn series of the 40K novels mm. that we like so much is that he has sort of developed his own code phrase language called glossia. And that has become something that we do in every single party we have now is like, cool. So we have like a series of symbols and like commands that we can convey ideas privately amongst ourselves. So it's not a language on our sheet, but it's definitely a language we're all functioning with. Right. And of course, on the flip side, like if you're a smart GM, you should be having intelligent groups of enemies have their own kind of code language as well. Right. And if you have one of your players who can speak nine languages it's probably one of them like great you're rewarding that person for investing in getting all those languages right right it's also possible to facilitate intra-party intrigue like if there's just one other person who speaks a specific language or like if you are the language player right then it is probable that any one's racial language you speak you can use that to communicate only with them it's like an excuse to pass notes across the table Mm mm-hmm or text messages in the modern form. <laughs> it's also very useful if you want to be the character that infiltrates. Like my like 4E GM pointed out, if you are trying to sneak into an elven city and you don't speak elven, like that's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem if like you're a spy and they're going to send you someplace. Like there's a reason James Bond speaks a bunch of different languages. Right, right. He needs to be able to pass. Yeah, that would be uh, a very amusing oversight as a GM if, like, <laughs> they send the thief who only speaks common, and it's like, why would the dwarves be speaking common? Of course, the dwarves are spying on are speaking dwarven. Right. Like, all right, well, you missed it. So, good luck planning. <laughs> um, I I guess you probably maybe you can memorize it but you're really going to need funds to find someone to translate. Yeah, yeah. And now you're playing telephone. I mean, that is sort of one of the one of the challenges as a GM of using language like that though is that you don't want language to just be a gotcha. 
right? You want there to be a reward and a potential cost jointly. Right. I right? think in that instance, you don't want it to be like, oh, you show up in the city and ha ha, you don't speak to her, right? That's something someone would have noticed early on. And if no one out of game notices it, then the GM should point out, well, I mean, you're going to a dwarven city. You, you speak dwarven, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, oh, wait, I don't. Right. Well, well, you might want to figure something else out. Yep. So also, again, like when you are characterizing how good you are at a language, you know, you're determining, do you have an accent? What kind of accent do you have? Like how perfect is your language? Those are things that are going to come into play at this point. Like uh, in World War II, I know there were multiple shibboleths. Like uh, in order to prevent enemy spies, you would like use a complicated native word that it was very difficult for someone else to pronounce. So like in the Pacific, the Americans would use the word Lollapalooza. Oh, because <laughs> is that really what yeah. that comes from? <laughs> uh, I it was a word that was like in use, um, like uh, at the time, uh. and pretty much only in America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Japanese spies, even if they spoke English, couldn't pronounce it properly. Yeah, and even if they weren't Japanese spies, even if they could speak English perfectly, it was a word that like a non-American wouldn't have really heard of because it wasn't used outside the U.S. Yeah. So it's a weird enough word where you probably mispronounce it the first time you try to repeat it anyway. Right. And as soon as someone doesn't say the word perfectly, they just got shot. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like the uh, the bar scene or the basement scene in Inglorious Bastards. I have not seen that yet. Oh, okay. Well, explain uh, it. Spoiler, um, they are trying to pass themselves as uh, Nazis undercover. And the SS guy, uh, Christoph Waltz's character, recognizes that they're impersonators because she counts with the wrong fingers. Ah. So Germans, mm. I guess, I can't remember the detail of it. but It's, it's one or like, the other, but thumb first or thumb pointer first finger first. Pointer right. first. right, yeah, exactly. Um, and so anybody from Westphalia would have started with their thumb. Yeah. So you must be American spies. I like that stuff. Um, well, actually, so that sort of like leads into how you deal with maybe other characters who are cheating by not learning languages, but like figuring out. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think one of the reasons that people don't invest in learning lots of languages is that, especially in a fantasy setting, but a tech setting or whatever, there are translators. There are ways to make it so that you don't need to know a language in order to figure out what the information is. Yeah, you got the the babblefish implant or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at something like, you know, the more common things like uh, comprehend languages. In 5th edition, it's a first level spell. It's on almost every spell list. But if you notice, it gives the literal meaning of the words that you're reading. So it's really easy to miss a cultural nuance or the significance of a homonym or a homophone or like idioms, right? It literally translates the idiom. So you won't necessarily know that like what the rising sun is. Right. When like obviously everybody knows that that's Japan, land right. of the rising sun. Right, Duh. right. Same thing with the tongues ability for monks at level 13. Mm-hmm. And also the tongue spell, which is actually just level three right now. Um, or, you know, in the case of the babblefish. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, it can be very tough to determine the tone of a conversation mm-hmm. um, so that what what might be obviously a joke to a native speaker is not a joke to a, a third-party interloper, for example. They might not understand uh, the irony or something like that. Right. Does the babblefish convey sarcasm properly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you mentioned, learning a language usually comes with a lot of cultural understanding that you get thrown in while you're learning it. You know, So you speak Elven, sure, and the monk 
speaks elven, but you've also eaten elven desserts and you've studied elven history just because you had to have in the time that you were spending learning the language. Right. You, for example, you know why the number four is unlucky in Asia. Right. And that's because the word for the number four and the word for death are very similar or in some languages identical. Right, right. Um, or like uh, the distinction with Spanish speakers that we have, right? Um, Spanish speakers don't use the like informal you uh, as a collective. Mm, mm-hmm. There's no plural informal you. And that's the thing, like especially if you're an impersonator, that's something someone's going to pick up on. Right. And that can also lead to challenges speaking between native speakers of the same language, right? You could have those regional and dialectical differences. Mm -hmm. So GMs, if you've got a player who's expressed an interest or it seems like they are expressing an interest in learning languages, there are ways to allow them to use it without, like Shane said earlier, having it be a gotcha if you don't have it. You know, you don't want to screw the rest of the party. I will say I, I sometimes spend uh, too much effort in trying to make a language useful. Like when before we started the Morning Glory campaign, I probably spent several days building an Eberron language family chart, like how they all came from Supernal and Draconic and how closely related they were, and then building like an Excel spreadsheet of bonuses you had to translating one language if you already knew a different language oh my word (laughs) we never ever used it yeah (laughs) what's wrong with you i like verisimilitude (laughs) it is 10 percent easier to understand this if you already speak this language yeah you got a plus five that's a lot of course then i was sort of building out a system where like there were optimal languages to know (laughs) oh god I was like, ugh, everyone should just take Draconic. But then I was like, well, it's Eberron. You should know everyone should just take Draconic. Right. Yeah. But yeah, when you're running a game, like it's just so hard to beat common or, or basic mm-hmm. for running an easy game. But if you use other languages sparingly or like at specific points, it can really help you flesh out your game world. Especially if you can try and make it just a perk that you know that language mm-hmm. rather than uh, a hindrance that you don't. Right, so you hear the scouts. If you know Goblin, you understand what they're saying. They're saying, I'm hungry and I'm exhausted and I can't wait for my shift to end in an hour. Right, that's great. If you don't speak Goblin, you might be able to interpret that it's Goblin or figure out it's something like a Goblin language. And you know they're speaking, so you know where they are. That's still good, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're you're losing out on extra information. You're not missing critical information because right. of your still- lack of a of a language yeah you're still doing your job as a scout right and also i mean speaking of verisimilitude like why would two goblin scouts with no one else around not be speaking goblin unless they were trying to hide their conversation from other goblins (laughs) then you're right and then they speak halfling yeah (laughs) how do they learn halfling well i would listen to their accent and see probably tell me (laughs) they speak halfling with a dwarven accent interesting perhaps they're dwarven captives how did the how did enough dwarves learn this (laughs) i'm thinking of uh dark sun halflings where halfling is like a super secret closely guarded language oh yeah yeah Uh yeah no probably not the base halfling language oh well i mean you know you get a couple halflings in Minas Tirith and you know people start learning it I bet it I bet in Gondor it actually became really like classy to know oh it was all of the fashion (laughs) or you know even just uh, closer to home right the if you're trying to spy on the elven ambassador they're speaking elven in their private chambers Mm -hmm. you know they're they're not using your pretty gross human tongue right 
It can also help emphasize that you are in a foreign land. If no one here speaks common, then you are definitely not in the inner circle of planets, right? You must be pretty far afield. Yeah, like human cultures in the PHB all speak common. Yeah, a human culture that didn't speak common must have a very divergent history. Mm -hmm. It can also be used to encourage role play. If you don't have a common language with an NPC, well, I guess you're resorting to pantomime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to like wave your hands around and flap your hands around and like point to bread and like describe all these things and then... Just like in 13th Warrior, eventually Antonio Banderas figures out how to communicate and we just shift to English. Right. Like it was fun for like, you know, two hours at the beginning of a session working with one NPC. And now like now we're good. Yeah. 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 And we can still talk about cultural nuances and things like that. And wait, dog. Did you call me a dog? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're loyal. Um, One one caveat there is that um, your more introverted, quieter players might feel even less willing to engage if you're putting that extra barrier in the way yeah it can just be an excuse like i don't speak that language yeah so what if you're already running a game how do you introduce languages as a thematic point into your existing game well you've got to give them some kind of reason to invest those resources because that's something that they're not going to be spending on combat skills or or even you know normal regular skills like spotting things Mm mm-hmm so you want to present, you know, positive reactions from NPCs, like even if they are not uh, the one who is like initiating a conversation in the language, you can have it so that someone in court has heard that this person speaks their relatively rare language, mm-hmm. like and then approaches them, like they want some conversation. In fact, will you will you dine with me? Because I would love to actually, you know, eat our food speaking our language. Mm-hmm. That would be wonderful. This is also a great way to engage quieter players. The ambassador will not speak to the party face who only speaks common. Mm. You seem to understand what I'm saying. Do you speak elven, elvish, whatever? <laughs> Do you speak my tongue? You know that it's elven and not elvish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that might mean that you throw some bonuses when that character's making a persuasion check, right? Mm-hmm. Because that the attitude of the NPC is already positive. Right, yeah. Give it give it sort of a disposition benefit. Mm-hmm. And then maybe those characters then turn into additional contacts for those PCs. Right. And this is a great way to introduce that, especially for characters who are actively seeking out other contacts. It may even be that, you know, the mission that is assigned, and this is probably like a side mission that happens, you know, off screen, uh, but can really benefit the pc is like they're assigned as an interpreter Mm. they need to actually walk around with the ambassador because they don't speak the same language yeah that's a that's a cool use for downtime yeah so you you now know all about elven politics because you had a particularly advantageous viewpoint (laughs) and you know if you want to spin that into something bigger maybe the party decides that they'll just edit the conversation a little bit yeah (laughs) What, uh, what did the ambassador say? <laughs> I'm going to leave out the treasure map part, yeah? Right. Yeah? <laughs> Languages can also be used to make riddles more difficult. Um, it's easy to hide meaning in translation. Yeah, if you have players who are using spells to get a literal translation of a riddle, um, that should probably provide them a means to solve it. You know, because like we said, we don't want it to be a punishment. But... Like, for example, if the correct answer to the the 
literal translation is the number five and there are like six doors that you need to choose from so maybe five is the right door to go in but maybe in the original language like if you can actually read it without magic you can just read it out loud and see that of the six lines of the poem every line rhymes except for line five mm -hmm. you know and that's something that a native speaker would immediately notice like right. oh that really seems out of place why five mm -hmm. there are also times when magic uh, or translation may not work as intended so you know language doesn't necessarily play a huge role in your game most people are using common all the time but sometimes it goes awry and that gives an opportunity for your linguist character to shine you want to use it sparingly, but that can really make a memorable encounter. Mm -hmm. So if you think about uh, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Darmok. Um, in Star Trek, they have the universal translator. It's almost always completely hand-waved. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody can understand each other all the time. Except that they find a civilization where the language is translated by the universal translator. Uh, but, but they find a civilization that only speaks in metaphor. And so the universal translator can tell them what the words mean, but they still have no idea what the actual meaning of these metaphors are because they don't have a cultural history yeah. to go on. Yeah, that'd be incredibly hard to do as a GM on the fly and have a conversation, though. That's that's going to be your challenge there. <laughs> <laughs> well, th that's the thing where you don't need to actually have the conversation. It can be a series of checks, right? Or, or a transcript or something. Yeah. Or like a, a dead civilization, yeah. right? Where yeah. you really need the cultural context. You need to figure that out in some manner. Yep. I like the idea of a xenophobic civilization where like they have trapped all their stuff or translation magic explodes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I that's a great idea. Especially in a place like Eberron, right, where you've yeah. got that kind of high pervasive magic. Just the idea that walking around casually using translation magic for whatever reason, like boom, fireball. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what like Argoness and Dragons would do. Like if you attempt to translate something out of draconic, yeah. this is a problem for right. you. <laughs> or like it certainly sets off an alarm and like eight blue dragons show up. Right. I mean, even just, um, you know, like a, a magical library, right, could mm. just have alarms for that type of magic. Um, and, and that would, yeah, it would bring the docents or librarians or whomever around to question you uh, roughly. <laughs> Another thing to remember, and I don't think this falls under screwing your players because it's you know by the rules is that people sort of skip over the part of a lot of spells where it requires the target to share a language with you they need to understand what you're saying so the command spell the suggestion spell they fail if the person can't understand what you're trying to tell them which means that if it certainly makes sense that sometimes they're going to face creatures that have a language, but that don't speak any language that the players can speak, except maybe the linguists. Yep. You also might run into trouble with like uh, surrendering enemies, for example, mm. if you don't share a language, something like that. You could have a kind of an awkward situation. Yeah, I think that's happened a lot throughout history, right? That's why we invented the white flag. Right. <laughs> and, the, and the hands up. Right. <laughs> I, I, all of our ideas head toward like palace intrigue, right? Cause, yeah, because that's the type of game that we like. <laughs> but I like the idea that the ambassador specifically brings like a retinue and particularly bodyguards who only speak the native tongue and certainly don't speak common and they don't speak like the language of the land that he is an ambassador to. Right. Because it means that one, it prevents the fraternizing because they don't become friends with anyone there. But it also means that they, they can't be magically compelled by those spells. Right. Or if anyone's reading their mind... They're going to get... The wrong language, yeah. 
So I think languages are something that usually end up getting hand-waved or overlooked. And while they're not a good basis for a campaign, they can certainly be the good basis for a few sessions. They can be a nice little spice on top of your campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think it's easy to go without them. And, and if you're doing that and, and it's not a big issue, great. I mean, have fun. But if you're looking for something to kind of make it a little more immersive or... Uh, make maybe an arc stand out. It could be kind of a cool thing to introduce. Do you hear that, Ishan? Shema? That's Chinese for what? Well, since we're lost in translation, I guess we should find our way to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Polyglot or the one who can speak all languages or at least many languages and then maybe a little bit of magic yeah oh sorry <laughs> he's not the pan glot <laughs> yeah i think this is a uh, another in our line of like how do we weaponize something that's not a weapon right <laughs> a recurring theme in the character creation forge yeah can i kill things with it right oh boy i'm looking at this build this is a pile of classes there's a lot of multi-classing in this it is really hard to get languages in fifth edition mm-hmm. and also there are a bunch of them i think maybe I, my count might be off but i think there's like 17 ish languages just in the php and then if you throw in sword coast adventurers guide that's like another 30 okay it's ridiculous well we're gonna get 14 of the core 17 that's right which is pretty good it's pretty good. It is not the most number of languages that you can get, but I think it's the most that you can get with like a good build. Yeah, and it also uh, covers the unique languages that you can't get through any other means other than a class. Plus a couple other things. Yeah. So what is the build? It is Bard 13, Mastermind Rogue 3, Tome Warlock 2, Knowledge Cleric 1, Druid 1. All right, so you got 13 levels of bard, so you're... You're a competent character. A competent character. Yep. Okay, we got enough of something. But you have three levels of Mastermind Rogue, so you must be terrible. I would chuck this in the trash. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you're going to be taking that ranged help action. <laughs> All right, so let's break down the languages. I suggest half-elf, because you get common, elven, and then one of your choice. All right, so that's three. Your background's going to give you two more. That's five. You'll take the linguist feat for three more. Eight. Knowledge Cleric 1 gives you two languages of your choice. 10. Uh, at Rogue 3, uh, the Mastermind gives you two more languages. 12. Plus you get Thieves Cant. At Rogue 1, that's true. And then 13. Uh, at first level of Druid, you learn Druidic. 14. Poof. All right, that requires one feat, Linguist. Anything else? Uh, it's also possible. Actually, this is in the player's handbook uh, the there's a very small downtime section if you spend 250 days and 250 gold pieces so one gold piece per day you can learn a new language oh yeah okay great so i mean you know it's up to your gm but i will say like if you already know 14 languages and a language comes up that's not on that list your gm is a bad person yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's uh yeah that's that's rough i another feat that might be interesting is observant 
it lets you read lips, but notice that you can only understand what people are saying if you understand the language. So again, with the Goblin Scouts, you might be able to tell that they are talking from a thousand feet away, but you certainly can't tell what they're actually saying if you don't speak Goblin. Right. So let's just kind of quickly run through some of the classes here and what we get from them. So Cleric, we're going to get languages and then the cleric expertise into right. we love skills. knowledge cleric it's yeah a great dip history is a fantastic one for mm-hmm. a polyglot yeah absolutely uh from rogue on top of thieves can't you get expertise uh in two skills i take the other two no you can't actually take the knowledge skills with it but <laughs> <laughs> um but deception and persuasion sure seem good <laughs> yeah i think perception uh persuasion is great as well because like Part of the reason you want to speak all these languages is to like woo people right, in a, in a right. manner, you know? Yep. You also get cunning action. And mastermind, note this, one of the ribbon abilities is that you can mimic accents and pose as a native speaker. So I, if I were playing this character, I would actually have it so I have different accents for different languages depending mm-hmm. on where I learned them. But I spend a little time, I watch someone for a minute, and I can mimic that accent. Yep. Uh, then Druid will get us Druidic. And fittingly, speak with animals. Uh, yep. You can that's also a, speak to the small animals. That's kind of another language, really. Yeah, I, I agree. Warlock. Uh, you can go Great Old One Warlock if you want to speak telepathically. but whatever. Yeah, but that's not really the point yeah, of this build. exactly. And I think that maybe like Phalok probably fits better here. Mm-hmm. You get two invocations of your choice. I think some good options are Mask of Many Faces, which lets you cast Disguise Self at will. So that you can look like any of these various races whose language you've pillaged. That's right. Uh, Eyes of the Runekeeper, which lets you just, you can read all languages. Seems super helpful. Although that's actually one of the benefits of speaking these languages is it also comes with literacy. Right. Whereas like the tongue spell or tongue of the sun and the moon, you don't get that. You can speak, but you still have no idea what the name tag says. Yeah, exactly. Or beast speech, which will actually let you cast speak with animals at will. Cool. If you like really want it. And then of course we've got Bard. So you could take Lore or Valor, yeah, right? Both great. Seventh level spells, four expertises. Yeah, so six expertises altogether. Plus th- the knowledge. Right. I, I think you should really be taking insight expertise because that makes you great at body language. And perceptions so that you can <laughs> read lips. <laughs> the Bard spell, uh, the Bard spellist is also great because you get speak with animals, speak with plants. Speak, speak with, with the dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then just to cover all your bases, you get tongues. Right. Uh, you also get awaken. So if you are ever curious, you just take an inanimate object, awaken it, and then talk. Hey, how you, how you doing? I like the idea. So when you do awaken something, it gets one language of your choice. I like... You know, awakening trees, but giving them a language no one else yeah, speaks. Yeah, like a very obscure language. <laughs> I'm your only friend. Just a small community of trees in the Pacific Northwest that, you know, just happen to speak Kender. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Why not? All right. So, Ishan, what is the background of your polyglot? Why do this? So, my polyglot is a spy. They spend all their time abroad learning new languages and uh, the nuances of new cultures and history with each new assignment and posting. So they're actually in uh, the real world an ambassador. 
Um, oh, right. That's that's their diplomatic cover. That's right. They're they're actually a spy. <laughs> like all spies. <laughs> <laughs> like all ambassadors. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, every time they're they're sent out, they are sent out because they have such an affinity for learning very quickly new languages and all of the nuances uh, that one would need to know in order to come across as a native. Mm. So they're living there, and all they need to do is disguise self and walk out the front door, and they can get, move freely about um, and you know take in as much information as necessary. Oh, nice. And then you know find a quiet place and cast sending and report in naturally in a code language yes of course <laughs> druidic yeah <laughs> what about your polyglot uh my polyglot is the youngest child of a famed military advisor who spent a lot of time traveling around the empire to the various conquered cultures and instructing them on how to uh, utilize better tactics, better training, better uh, warfare techniques in order to ensure the Empire's safety. So they can scream in 14 languages. Uh, well, you know, youngest child, she didn't take to the fighting quite as much as her older brothers. Oh. She was a softer soul. She became a performer. Uh, she became interested in the tales and the telling of tales that all of these various conquered cultures uh, had to offer and so she was a quick study of languages and uh and a and a good performer a very likable sort and so now she kind of travels seeking that more untold tales right she's always looking for another feather to put in her cap oh, she needs a new hit that's it yeah <laughs> just i need i need another dialect man just, just looking like, for just looking for on. just looking for a woman come on come on <laughs> give me that regional drawl <laughs> Give me an accent I can work with. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. And we have a five-star review. Um, actually, I guess I should clarify. We have two five-star reviews, but we are saving one of them from friend of the show, James Intracasso. Uh, it has a musical requirement uh, for us to give it proper recitation. So we're going to take a little more time with that. Yeah, we're going to save that for episode 100. Is that coming up? It's dangerously close. <laughs> Frighteningly close. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so, James, we will get to it in just a few short weeks. But today uh, I will read What an Amazing Podcast, Five Stars by Camponte. You guys have something great going on here. The concept is very original with the different sections and great audio quality. I get lots of ideas for my games. Keep it coming. That's lovely to hear. And thank you for taking time out on your May the 4th, your Star Wars day, to give us a five-star review. Maybe they were listening to our Star Wars episode. Oh, it could be. Yeah. On repeat. Do you, um, when, when somebody says, like, may the force be with you, do you say, and also with you? No. You're not Catholic, no, are you? No, definitely. I yeah, I, I don't like the call and response. I have a I I cannot avoid it. It is like <laughs> it's like pathological. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using battle maps. And in the character creation forge, we're building the battle mapster. <laughs> so happy I made to say that. <laughs> it's like uh it's like Napster, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. you're taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> because well, we it's stole the idea. because it's peer to peer. 
<laughs> it's, it's illegal. It's an illegal build. All right, that's it for episode 96 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.